0: Today on the show, a guest who is, quote, all about the he said she says bullshit, end quote. A man forever indebted to the nookie, but he is no chump. Our next guest came packing a chainsaw, and boy does he like to break stuff. Pour out some hot dog flavored water for this chocolate starfish. We bring you the inimitable, illustrious illustrator, Wesley Robinson.
1: Yes, yes, we we actually oh, wrote.
2: Too so many limp biscuits. I I have never I've never subscribed to being a litmus Biscuit fan. No but, so at least, it no,
0: but you happen to have the same name, first name only,
2: as oh, Wes Orland.
0: Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh
2: god. And, and
0: so we are so deep yeah, yeah. in our research. It's, My God, we must have looked up so many different things to know this about you that yeah. your first name
2: is Wesley.
1: Yeah, we're it's yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. 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 <laughs> shallow. We this, deep deep. Um, this completely... at least you
1: didn't walk out right no, no, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah mic drop leave interview one. no don't yeah. worry
2: my, um, my um, sentiment to goatee metal rap is pretty like poor at best really yeah
1: yeah same, same. As, as, um, as it is, anyway, anyway. Yeah, not... for
2: uh-huh. yeah let's move We've passed that. All
1: right, yeah. yeah. Uh, rolling, 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 rolling. Right.
2: Yeah, we are rolling. What? Oh, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> oh how's it going today, Wes? I was. It's all good. I, um, just on the, just on that subject, I was in a, a, a drum and bass metal band huh? around around that new metal scene of the time in the UK. I was very much on the drum and bass side of the metal Band. I think I was kind of solely trying to supply the drum and bass element. Okay, um, Mm gotcha. Yeah, I was. I was deep into the scene um, at that period. Um, But anyway, yeah, there you go. As a
0: side, Um, no, that's that's fantastic. Because like, well, so hang on. Were there new metal bands in the United Kingdom, or was it a American
2: phenomenon? It was it was a weird one. It was like there was a there was a kind of a fledgling, well, not fledgling skate. There was a skate scene in the UK. Sure. And you know, Green Day were kind of ruling 97 98. And then there was that kind of all these kind of like new metal bands started to come through. And some of the skate kids took to that new metal scene. And that's what kind of carried through to the early noughties. So we had things like OzFest. You may have seen recently on Instagram, yeah. a lot of um, photos of OzFest, like turn of the millennium. Oh, and I, went.
0: I did go. Okay. I did go to OzFest. Okay.
2: Not the Milton Keynes one, or were you in the
0: UK then? No, no, no. I was in, I was in the US. I was, I'm in Okay, Virginia. So we
2: had the OzFest and it was at Milton Keynes, which is famously described by, um, the comedian Bill Bailey's um Satan's layby, which is a pretty accurate description of Milton Keynes. But yeah, wow. so all kids in those photos from Milton Keynes Bowl at that time were basically like the kids that I was hanging around with. I never went to Ozfest because I wasn't really deep down a metaller. Um But, uh, you know, I was more into my hip-hop and other stuff. But yeah that is the look that was the look of the UK if you weren't dressed like that you were dressed in Burberry and you had a Nike cap and you were trying to kind of somehow intimidate those new metal kids um that was basically the setup of of that time
0: I just have to say my memory from Ozfest is this and I'll be brief it was like 100 degrees and they were charging eight or ten dollars a bottle for water you know jesus yeah it sounds like writing they just wouldn't give it away yeah i'm like i'm like in middle school and i'm like excuse me i i know for a fact that it is a maryland law you must dispense water (laughs) you must dispense water if there is a bathroom which there is they don't give me the water anyway we're in the pit i don't know who's playing it's like uh, the chariot or one of these bands, you know, they're really going at it. And this guy is in the circle pit in a black leather duster with like a gas mask on.
2: Yeah, and that he's sounds running right. in
0: circles. Yeah, he's going, he's going, he's going. And then he just like drops to the ground, this enormous man. And like the pit like stops and everyone, you know, it's a, it's a nice mosh pit. Everyone is like, are you okay, man? He doesn't get water. He just keeps going.
2: Oh man. That's yeah, awesome. I think, I like, think, oh five. We may have been a hardier breed back then. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Was, um, <laughs> geriatric millennials. Uh,
0: I was yeah. smoking Benson and Hedges cigarettes. One hundreds. Oh, God.
2: You were disgusting.
1: Vile. <laughs> I, I have to say. Right. I, 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 I like th- you're
2: preparing yourself for a your time in Swansea, really.
0: Right. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, we can talk about Swansea. Yeah, sorry. I'm going well off. <laughs> no. no, no, no. It's I, your sh- it's your show.
1: It is your show. Yeah. Well, I, I I do want to say I hope that this is the first and only Oh okay, uh, sorry. I have to preface the statement by saying, I know we just brought this on ourselves, uh, but I really hope that this is the only amount of new metal discussion that ever happens on this show. <laughs>
0: Yeah. L I M B biscuit is right here. Oh, God damn it. See, I was having to do the whole. I was having to do the whole verse from Roland on.
2: He was, really, was very good. Who? Fred? Hey, no, you. Bet you're better oh. than Fred. To be fair, I definitely am better Did than we, Fred Durst. But I think that
0: I think that everyone we've had on has been better than Fred Durst. Yeah, fair enough. He was the first. But, um I
2: can certainly. I can bring it ra- back round later to the Osiris D three if you want to kind of make that connection later on. Oh, yeah. Um, like yeah, I like this. I like this. Okay, cool. Right. <laughs> right, I'll get into clothes mode.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's only the tangential thing about the show. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wes, dude, uh, where are you from, and where do you live now?
2: Um, I am from a town called High Wycombe, which is. So if you imagine London, it goes London, Greater London, which is like the suburbs of London. Mm-hmm. Then you get like maybe 10 minutes of grassland or, or greenbelt um, where they try not to build anything. And then you get all of like the towns that kind of satellite towns around London that begin. And High Wycombe was kind of famously a town that rehoused a lot of the worst families or worst areas of london kind of post war okay so it's a town that was historically been there a long time but a lot of housing estates were built up in the um post war period and um that's kind of where my family found themselves and, and this is, um, um,
0: like public housing in america yeah yeah big, right? big public like... housing
2: estates and i've i'd sent you those photos showing mm-hmm. uh, uh, there was a guy called um oh God, I haven't even answered your second part of that question, but uh, yeah, it's, so it's okay,
0: um, yeah, no, it's okay, because we were hoping we were hoping to get into it, um, okay,
2: cool, well, so yeah, I'll talk about Wycombe for a bit because it is an interesting place in that um it's probably one of the most multicultural places of that time in the u k um there's a big West Indian community in in there, and it was kind of. I don't know, there was growing up in it, I didn't really realise how what experience I was getting growing up. And High Wickham is an interesting place. So um the estate which my parents grew up on and my grandparents lived on until they passed, um, there was a guy called Gavin Watson who's a photographer. He's quite famous now. Um, you know, he's worked for some big names in terms of people to hire him for his photography. But he um got a camera when he was a young kid, probably around the time that I was born. And um he just started shooting photos of his friends in on this estate, um, who all happened to be skinheads. Um, yeah. The actual the skins,
1: sense. not boneheads.
2: Yeah, yeah, like I mean it was I suppose it was still a skinhead revival because right. the true skins really were the kind of, you know, Spirit Sixty Nine skins um but then like by the time you get to kind of late 70s early 80s you've got you've you've got skinhead movement as people probably imagine it now and uh, yeah so but you know but it was a multicultural you know his his um, friendship group was multicultural you know and there was um west indian kids who were skinheads and um yeah and it was very much a kind of a music driven scene and a style-driven scene. Um, so yeah, if you look at Kevin Watson's skins, his photos are incredible. And like, you'll I'll see like my nan's house in the background. And, oh, that's awesome! You know, yeah, and it's like I would have literally been. That is like the world I was born into. Um, you know, I would have been like a kid being pushed around in a pram while those photos were being taken. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's nice. Like I don't really have much. Like I don't wish to ever really go back to my hometown like maybe you know to see my friends but there is something about seeing those photos and seeing the UK in that time that's very I can get quite nostalgic about it um, oh yeah that's awesome and, and I've i said to Gavin I've messaged Gavin oh I've got an error come up are we good yeah I think so okay it might just be on mine um so I get, I can get a bit nostalgic for that, and like I've said to Gavin, you know, I, for whatever it means to you about these pictures, for me, it's like it really captured a time um, that kind of. I just don't know. I don't think I'd have any connection to High Wycombe if it wasn't for his photos, in a way, because uh, yeah, you know I get that. I've got a few family, photos, but he kind of captured you know, the time and the place where I was born. um, just part of his kind of hobby. Totally. Which, you, um,
1: you said that you were or you said a couple of minutes ago, like you were a geriatric millennial. Uh, so I'm assuming that we're probably around the same age. But like, was, there, was just, there any part of that, like, skin, you know, punk, whatever scene that was still existing there when you were, you know, when you came of age?
2: The really cool thing about High Wycombe is that it had a big alternative scene. It had a big, it had a strong music scene. Had a strong local music scene. Even going back to my parents' generation, it was one of the places where the Stones and the Beatles and and then later, you know, um, Sex Pistols. I think the owner of the local music venue nearly managed the Sex Pistols, but he, they were too much for him, and he gave them to Malcolm McLaren. That's the, so that was an <laughs> head. And I think howling wolf played there and it has big blues loft kind of history. Right. So these are the kind of places that were around me and still survived. And so we would go to a place called the white horse, which was a new metal night, ska punk, uh, meth, you know, like full on kind of metal. Um, but then like, it was like the place where Kings of Leon had their first UK gig. And this was like kind of a crappy pub that underage kids could get into. And there was like a strip joint upstairs. It was a funny, funny, place, but these were like the places we were going to as like teenagers. And, um, it was great in a way. So you could go down there on like, um, a slightly kind of, punk-leaning oi night or something like that and it would be filled with, like, the old skinheads. Or we could go to, like, a, um, like a Northern Soul night. Oh, and fuck all yes. the old skins would be there. Right. So, like, all the old skins and then all the Northern Soul guys would get the talc out and do the dancing and the people who are actually photoed in the book skins were my friend's older siblings. That's fucking so sick. So... Yeah, you would like meet those guys from that book. Um, probably this was a time where I wasn't—I probably owned the book, but I wasn't so invested in it because I was still kind of young. Um, um, but you kind of knew—you knew, knew this—the the character of the town and the people who had kind of their identity was stamped on them. Like they weren't going to not ever not be skins anymore. Whereas yeah. now we might rejuvenate ourselves every ten years. Right. So yeah, it was a, it was a great place in that respect. Like yeah, this, my love of music.
1: This is like it's really cool. uh, hearing hearing this, because I have been obsessed with like traditional skinhead culture since I was like 15. Uh don't really ask me why. I've never been I've never identified it as a skin. But uh like I've been I've been mm. seeing photos from this book for the better part of like 25 years of my life and like hearing
2: yeah, uh, it's hearing amazing. stories
1: about it and like this this weird connection that somehow happened through clothing is like my you know platonic ideal yeah. of what the show is about.
0: Well, it's about working class cohesion, right? Isn't that the whole point of the skin? Romanticize thing?
2: it, I think. Well, uh, so
0: that is I, that is at the outset what it was about, right? Was working <laughs> class culture banding together
2: yeah i think the temptation to do that especially if you're looking to bring cohesiveness where we're lacking it at the moment is to romanticize it but i think what you'll find is that like with everything it's a bit confused in itself so you might find that um like going back i'm not going to talk on behalf of anyone because i don't i don't Uh, not skin myself um never been involved in the skinhead scene and my knowledge of it is second third hand at best but i feel what i've heard from other people is it was quite a confused time like there was racism in the uk even back in like you know the 69 era um and then moving forward into the 80s there was still a thing of um There wasn't a lot of social cohesion, just kind of generally, I guess. But what was happening and what happened in, say, that estate uh, and High Wycombe generally was that um, people were um, just becoming friends with, um, you know, second generation immigrant families. And that was like whether it was through schooling or work and then relationships. And, um, you know, so whether you're a skin or not, the working class people were intermingling and uh, finding their own kind of voice with each other. And obviously Jamaican music was so powerful. Um, It just was attracting anyone, really. Uh, And I think that was making the way that West Indian people were beginning to live in the UK meant that we could have a, a, they were open to um, white people coming into their nights and, you know, and going to their, um, their house parties, you know, and we, you know, uh, the whole scene grew from that. So reggae for me, like my first memory of music is kind of the Israelites. Oh, yes. Becca. Like, You know, like reggae is so infused in the music I love, which went on to be like kind of hardcore drum and bass, jungle music. Um, Sure. You know, um, and going even into the dance scene of the UK, there was a big cohesion of identities which were not for many years getting on too well together. And then by the time you come round to the rave revolution and the dance music revolution of the late eighties, again, Slough, High Wycombe were the epicenters of this because there was such racial mixing anyway from the working classes. So, and even Gavin Watson then went on to document the rave culture. Right. Um, So I come from a place which is really steeped in subcultures, working class subcultures and, music revolutions, I would say. So, yeah, a a bit of a dive, but it it did grow a lot of interesting movements and was part of those larger movements.
0: Because I think I have said before, like diversity is the answer, right? I mean, diversity is what spawns a lot of, as you say,
2: creativity, all sorts of stuff. Well, the US is a prime example of getting the best brains from around the world and then becoming probably the most kind of, I don't want to say, powerful nation. But, you know, look at all of everything that, I mean, I know it's tricky with America because its past is so checkered. Right. But um, that is a very diplomatic way of <laughs> Yeah, it. <yeah>. then <laughs> the thing is, it's like, we, none of us, none, none of the people, oh, we're all, you know, we, none of us made decisions of put us where we are. We, we appeared, you know, right. for the best part, anywhere between 30 and 40 years ago into a situation, which we had no prior input in. And a lot of people are trying to, um, console what's happened previously. And, um, but the thing is, is like, if you look at all the countries which have been open to a lot of other cultures coming together, they've either been very um, good at creating cultural movements or techno- technological revolutions. Um, so there is a lot of good from that. And, you you know, a society has to be cohesive in order for it to work. So you know, you can't turn back the clock. And if you're going to move forward, then you have to work out ways of, you know, building bridges. So, you know, whether whatever your political leaning, we all kind of want to get on in our lives. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be in each other's pockets, but you just, you kind of just have a mutual respect. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've kind of made my peace with, that part of my thinking, if you know what I mean? Totally. Um, Totally. And I I I mean, it it sounds like identity,
1: you know, it it sounds like as a proper actual adult, you have like realized, you know, as you said a few minutes ago, um, you didn't really like understand your upbringing while it was happening. But like you, you know, it's a pretty special one. It kind of seems like.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was friends with my best friends. So, by the time I was school age we moved just outside the town into a village um next to a big um military base mm-hmm. so i was kind of schooled on the military base even though my parents aren't military and um my best friends were two brothers and they were uh, their dad was indian and their mother was english um but to avoid any issues they told everyone they were portuguese you know, and I later found out another friend I had who I thought was Portuguese was, of, uh, you know, Indian, Anglo-Indian background. So, you know, you think of there being good cohesion, but people are still hiding their racial identity. And oh, was, I'm not saying it
0: made it into a perfect place. Oh, no, no, I'm no, just no, saying no. I thought that was the idea of that subculture, basically, was that the working class should kind of unite i mean of course there is there are racist I mean, elements in that technically
2: right oh yeah i think it was like you know the, the west indian guys could be getting on really well with, uh, with the native white british guys but then they both might really not get on with the um you know the uh, the guys from not so much i don't know like the south asian community yeah. might not be getting on or you know and and like my friend um simon um, we always make mm. a joke because you know we you know we've got childhood memories together his you know his dad was Indian, and we talk about high Wickham and we we kind of reflect on race a lot differently now than this generation and like our joke to ourselves is like in High Wickham, you couldn't racially profile people, you couldn't do it on race because everyone was a threat or <laughs> everyone could potentially be a threat. you're more likely. <laughs> To get mugged by a crew of white guys than you were anyone else, just by the fact that you know that was, there was more of those guys predominantly in town. So you know you didn't mark people by their by those markers, racial markers, it didn't work. You know you had to kind of see people for who they were and their attitude they were giving off. So it was an interesting time and it was an interesting place and um you know the 80s and 90s was really overshadowed by kind of casual violence just going out you know i mean it might be the same now for a lot of kids but back then for us it was you know there was always the threat of casual violence right. on a night out
0: i was so surprised by that in swansea because like i live in baltimore yeah and i you know, people were like, oh my god, like, we're He's gonna get
2: armed. So that's probably
0: well, that's the thing. I'm saying, like, hello, like, do these people have weapons? You know, and they're like, no, no, nobody has any weapons. It's, 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 but it's,
2: kind of it's like, it
0: does from. not work that way where I am from.
2: Yeah, it's part of a strange identity we have in the UK. I think I don't know what it is. I've the, never like, it's just a lot of violent undertones, which just don't seem to be there so much anymore, which is which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
2: Me and uh, Tony, who you've had on, um, Tony Silvest. Yeah. Um, it's nice in a way. He's a bit little. He's a few years, few years older than me, but we can kind of get nostalgic about life in the eighties and nineties. Like he grew up very close to where I grew up. Oh, that's fucking cool. And, And of and of kind of similar backgrounds, like so. I found out recently that my grandmother was born in like a woman's refuge in Marlebone, which is like not a glamorous start for anyone. That's like a little place in London, and and his great grandmother, I think, was born in similar circumstances in Soho. So it's kind of like we're two kind of guys who mirror a lot of interests, but also mirror quite a similar upbringing. But he he was raised slightly further into the suburbs of London. But we can kind of really get caught up into the nostalgia of 80s and 90s UK and just really get into that what it was like to live at that time, which, you know, it's only now that if you can kind of stand back and see what it was and how kind of not you know, just like the threat of violence (laughs) around every turn, it's so weird. It's so alien to me now, in a way. Right, right. But it was the UK culture. But what came from that was these subcultures as well, like violent fashion subcultures, like mod had its, and, and rockers was a violent subculture. Teddy Boys was a violent subculture. Skin, had a, a, obviously, a, a violent um, edge to it. And even like, you know, when you go up to like Chabs and, and that scene of the early noughties. Again, a very violent scene, although like the only kind of stopgap that ever happened in that was like the kind of rave culture and everyone kind of getting into fields and taking ecstasy and barriers dropping down. But um, as distance passed, I suppose that was our kind of like hippie time. But as you know, like I hadn't that line, but, you know, the North came into the 90s and yeah, like, I don't know. Was, it's the UK is a very interesting place, and it truly is. How it connects with fashion and music, which I feel is slightly lost now. There's not so much connection with fashion and music. Right, um, you know, you can get like menswear guys that are like all looking really smart and turned out, but they they've all kind of tatted up and listening to like hardcore. But it doesn't necessarily reflect the menswear. It's not the, the luxury menswear scene, you know. Um, Scare the crap out of most guys that might go down the row, but then you know you can't judge people just because they're into like classic menswear. You know, everyone's going to come at it from a different angle. Yeah, but well, uh, it's
0: also it's also the status quo, right? Cla- like classic traditional menswear, whatever you want to call it, is like the clothing.
2: Um, uh, for yeah, for um. Uh, I think, again, I think Tony has a good way of thinking about it. It's like, if every, if every area or, you know, every country has its kind of like, um, its cuisine, you know, then the the, the British cuisine in terms of, of clothing is, is classic, you know, British menswear. And it went on to inform a lot of other menswear in the, in the world. So you know it's it, you could say it's kind of like the first floor of, of of menswear but then equally you know we live in a much more global society now so it's kind of that's kind of changed you know you get companies that push kind of um um kind of classic arabic clothing like um jabs like that's a company that do um uh, hijabs but also do like Kind of streetwear and stuff like that. So,
0: yeah,
2: it's a little, I don't know, I'm going to say it's dated because I think it's still important that the UK is recognized for, you know, classic British style. But it's funny now, isn't it? Because there's so much wealth in different parts of the world and they'll have their heritage and what they feel is the, a clearer representation of what menswear should be. But, um, you know, for us guys, where we live and our kind of history you know those tailors on savile row are you know if you're interested in menswear that's that's where you go and that's what you kind of fanboy over or or italy or you know
0: well i just mean like in terms of accept acceptability i guess like Uh, the term like you can be wearing a suit for the most part anywhere in the world and mm-hmm. you'd be fine, you know.
2: People would yeah. be like,
0: "Oh, there's this guy in a suit. Like that. That person is fine, right? Whatever. Whoever is looking at that person is yeah. not all concerned sure about that person.
2: We'll be wearing suits. I promise you. From my twenty-five years of retail, <laughs> like, if you want to know where, yeah, all the all the like, yeah, like anyone dressing in that way, just you just don't even clock them. Like it right. does not off it doesn't set off an alarm.
0: It's like a it's like an invisibility cloak to borrow something from another. In,
2: in a weird way, like I understand the angle of what you're trying to say now, and I would 100% agree. And I think maybe that's why it when you, especially men, come of a certain age where they feel like they want to kind of um, engage now in kind of respectable society, they will start to look to menswear as um you know especially when they become more professional they'll
0: well in a lot of places you're forced to wear that clothing by your works dress code
2: yeah exactly and then you don't want to i think that's a good time then for you to know what you want from menswear because if you're suddenly told you have to wear it and you know that you really don't like wearing a suit but you don't like wearing a suit because historically you went into a shop and it had like built up shoulders and you look terrible with built up shoulders. Um, then, you know, it would only be through your research that you would find, Oh, there's a natural shoulder. Oh, actually, if I put this jacket on, it's like unstructured and it feels comfortable. And, you know, I don't look like I'm got these like massive shoulder pads under and, you know, so you'll find all the different languages of menswear and all the different histories of menswear if you feel so inclined to, if you don't, you know, you'll just follow whatever fashion is and you'll be passable in what you're wearing for your job, but you might not feel at home in it. So I think some people maybe think, okay, I've got to wear these clothes, but I want to feel me in them. And then they'll explore kind of menswear and tailoring and find what, what, you know, what is me in that kind of language, um, which is what I did to a degree. but. I think I'm still too casual, really.
1: It comes and goes.
2: Well, I know it all. You know, I've sold menswear. I fit. I used to do um, formal hire for like events. I did like Ascot hire. You know, I used to dress in top hat and tails and do like kind of wedding fairs and stuff. Do you know what I mean? I like really? Yeah. I fitted people for like some of the poshest, biggest weddings, you know, like. Like Versailles, like, you know, I've I've been engaged in that high-end menswear and and ready-to-wear, not so much like um, bespoke, but ready-to-wear, but high-end, like, you know, I've worked in that area. So it's good in a way because I feel like I know it all and I've lived it and I've experienced it and I've owned nice suits and I've worn nice clothes, but at the end of the day, I, I probably wouldn't reach for a suit. Yeah. It should be. I,
1: I'm in the same boat. Uh, worked, well, in, I mean, worked in that for a long time. Uh, really, uh, like... You've seen the sausage being made. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's that necessarily, <laughs> but like, it's, it's fun, but uh, unless I have to like, wear it at this point, I'm just kind of like, I'll throw on a flannel, a hoodie, and some like, work pants and boots, and that's like, that's where I live.
2: Yeah. And I would say, as well, it was really appealing at a time because it was accessible it's become less and less accessible as time' has gone on um and especially in terms of the um second hand market for um men'swear. It was very easy to pick up a lot of ivy stuff, and I could get ivy stuff from from the u s sent relatively cheaply to the u k and then over the last ten years, that's just become harder and harder, yeah. God. international well shipping is went. the worst yeah it's just gone crazy so a large part of my menswear story or being into menswear has been adapting to kind of you know what i could afford what was available and what i kind of thought worked for me or what i thought you know reflected me right. but um it changes over time and you get in different like, I think someone like me is creative. I like to explore different ideas and different looks and things like that. And it's like, I wouldn't say that I ever feel like I'm acting. I'm just kind of bringing to the, you know, to the front different aspects of me really. Um, so and I think maybe that's why my output's so varied as well is because I don't really lock into necessarily one or subscribe to one kind of church, I guess that
0: was the funny thing about going through your, um, Instagram was that like, it was challenging to pin you down, I guess. Like they were all, all of the work was varied. All of the work. Um, I like, you could tell it was you, but it was still, uh, varied enough that it was like, how has he managed to do all of this?
2: Yeah. I think, um, I used, I often think of that as being like a negative because when I see the people that become very successful in what I do, um, they have a very defined style uh, and a character base that they just, they repeat. And I kind of admire that in for two reasons. It's very disciplined um, and it works in, in the world what we're in where, because there's so much going on, like the best way maybe to s- like make your stake, your claim is to repeat something with variation. Um, so there's a consistency and then people get hooked to that little consistency in their day, whether it's kind of like that guy from Barstool reviewing pizzas or someone drawing the same character in hundreds of different outfits, but it's still basically the same drawing with the outfits changed. Um, it it, it it just it really helps in a world where there's so much information
0: yeah uh, and it's not it's not it's not that doesn't make it good
2: oh yeah but what's what's popular and what's good is sometimes the same and sometimes not but it's not even a trick it's um it's part I it's a technique it's a sales technique you know well, it's about sorry.
0: it's about branding and recognition yeah, it it's the, all it can... capitalism driven <laughs> yeah goddamn capitalist well, no, and it is and so it's like for me to say to you my god you're able to do all of these different styles and to have you think this is a negative because you are not doing the same thing as everyone else is doing is like this is a problem in our world
2: yeah, yeah, I know, but I have good people around me who I can have my doubts to, and then they just kick me up the ass. you know. Um, well, it, seems to, it seems to be working, because you have done a lot of impressive work. Thanks, like, you know. I, if you are,
0: like, keister kick powered,
2: <laughs> you've got yeah, it. Kick, yeah, powered Keep by kicking. Kicking. Yeah, but, you know, that helps. That's why, um, well, you'll find, I think what I found with creatives is they can they have like a little? They'll always have a little group of um, their team around them. So even if they're working as um, you know lone wolves, like I don't really work with with other people. I'm um, beginning to now, but I don't really work in teams of people. I just I'm just hired as an individual. But I'll always defer any doubts I have outside to a few people. Yeah. And um, who typically work in the industry too, but are creatives who I trust their judgment more than I would kind of anyone else, including myself. But like in the same way that you can't see your own head, you know, and you can't smell your own nose, you, you can't sometimes see your own work. I don't know what what my work, I don't, I can't even, you know, unless it's put like a number on it, like I've got X amount of followers or I've got X amount of likes. I I don't have the objective distance on my work to really judge it. So I just kind of do it. I try not to think about it too much and just let what happens happens. And what happens with brands is they'll come to me, they'll want to work with me. And I can already see from the beginning that, okay, like this style is not going to work with this brand. I need to adapt my style a little bit so it sits with their handwriting so in that way, it really is a collaborative process because I'm really adjusting myself to fit the brand that approaches me. And, um, you know, I'm sure other people do that as well. But to whatever degree, I don't know. Like, they'll probably adapt, like saying are saying, their one trick or whatever you want to call it. I don't want to dismiss that because that's a... What I'd say is actually that that's a, a disciplined kind of uh, work or craftsperson that can do that um but for me like maybe my attention is is deficit is too um high to like feel like that's going to motivate me to work whereas i like kind of newness and discovery so i'm more interested in when a brand approaches me i'm like cool right what can we do now you know
0: well
2: it's kind of up in the air you know and you have to have like a quite a um you know if a brand approaches you and they're putting investing a lot of money in something and you're kind of like out there they don't know 100% what they're going to get um mm-hmm. you know it can be a bit of a, a gamble but i it's i've never kind of necessarily failed to any great degree in delivering what a brand wanted you know there's been a couple of times where maybe something hasn't been used but i suppose that was earlier on where i was more inexperienced and couldn't adapt so well. Um, But nowadays, I just feel like I'm ready for the challenge of whatever comes my way, really. Um, But, yeah, so for me, it's 2 prong. Like, I do feel like you do need to adapt when people come and ask you to do stuff. And I enjoy that. So I don't mind changing up my style to fit what's needed. But, you know, it could have cost me in, like, likes and followers. But... You know I, it's my profession I, I i can make a living from it okay so i'm kind of happy yeah
1: how how long do like, you we do the
0: stupid intros do people like them we don't know but we do them anyway <laughs> i'm yeah. looking at your instagram again now wes i'm sorry to interrupt you matt but like so there are these portraits uh bunch of randoms right which like it's not the same style as your normal art but they are still really good and like really interesting you could tell um this grandparents one with the yellow glasses is just wonderful so um yeah good on you that's what i have
2: to say oh oh, you know i it's um i just feel like more and more the whole thing with doing anything is just getting out the way of yourself. Um, you know, there's so much neurosis in a creative person's mind anyway. Um, you don't really need it. I think if you just get into a space where you just create, like for me, I just put on music or I'll put on like Alan Watts and he'll tell me that everything's, you know, not real anyway. So don't worry about it. Or, um, you know, you can just you get into a headspace and uh, what they would technically call a flow state, I guess, which is really difficult to do when there's a lot of pressure on you. But what happens is your um, muscle memory gets so good for drawing, you can kind of switch off and you go onto autopilot, you know, and then you present something and then someone will tweak it or ask for you to tweak it and then it can get a bit tricky because you're taken out of your kind of... Um, flow state and then you're given direction and then you have to kind of get back into your flow state whilst kind of adhering to like a list of changes right? Um, because if you don't the work's going to suffer for it like the direction is probably correct but then if you come out of that space and go into a more like box ticking state you'll slowly see the work kind of lose its character and lose its um punch so you have to learn, I suppose, like an actor. You you have to take direction, but then still, um, give the kind of effortlessness of being a good actor, if you see what I mean, or the effortless effortlessness of being a good or being a competent kind of illustrator or artist. But yeah, it's inter- I mean, it's an interesting job. It's it's a bit of a crazy one as well. But um, well, it's like it's
0: like all of the. So whenever I post my outfits, which I do often,
2: right. I know like, and your legs.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) They, they upset people, but, uh, they, uh, some people they don't upset. So (laughs) I'm saying the outfits that get the most, as you were talking about earlier, like, um, approval that I know of through the likes are the ones that I just like did not consider. I like put no thought into whatsoever and I just like or even I was like this looks horrible but I'm gonna leave the house anyway and then people are like dude what a good outfit so yeah.
1: fire man
0: and so it's like it just is that way I think
2: yeah I've got um I'm quite lucky because out of all of the father-in-laws I could have ended up with um I ended up with one who's worked predominantly as a creative their whole life. Oh, fuck. Oh, nice. And face. And face really nice. You know, the demand of being a creative and, uh, what does he do? Do you mind? No, no. He was, he's a really good musician. Have, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was wondering like if he was an illustrator also,
2: no, my, uh, my father was a designer, um, okay. or is it, designer. but, um, no, my father-in-law is a musician and he had a lot of success. Um, in the seventies, he went on to working in the record industry, and he was kind of good friends with um, the Steely Dan guys and, and stuff oh, wow. like that. And um, so he hung around a good crew of, of musicians and professionals. And um, he's very into like the creative process to the point where he's like, like you're saying, you what you think's mindless isn't mindless. It's just you're not aware of it. And then you're in your
0: flow state, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: So Your best decisions. Are, like I get caught up in theory a lot because it kind of occupies me when I'm not drawing to focus on different theoretical approaches and stuff, but you can't have them in your head when you work because it just interrupts your creativity <laughs> in a way. It's so it's surreal, not surreal. It seems absurd that you should care so much about theory, but then have to forget it in order to do anything any good. But like what I'm trying to say, look, bring it back to what you said is like you are making lots of critical judgments probably as you throw stuff on, but you're just not aware of it. And um because you're kind of giving in to more instinct, like good theory is just good instinct. Like bad theory is makes for bad results. And the same with bad instinct. Bad instinct makes for bad results. But good instinct and good theory hopefully makes for good results, you know so um don't doubt your intuition really when you're doing anything um and clothing is a good i find that i can uh, i really think these colors go together but um you know they go they go together so well that it looks obvious and then it kind of like oh you look like you've tried do you know what i mean <laughs> so right it's like, yes right. yeah that's the a fine very, line
1: yeah. between like Looking like you didn't try and looking like you tried way too fucking hard.
0: Yeah, I got... Yeah, dude. uh, LDP stuff said to me, like, this is your greatest outfit in recent memory. And I, like, was wearing a tweed jacket and a flannel shirt. Like,
2: I was, like, not doing anything. And then, yeah, also, like, you got to think about... You can aim to dress like other people, but ultimately... With any kind of endeavor or creative endeavor, you're just trying to find. You're trying to line up with your yourself. Do you know what I mean? So you know, maybe yeah, a,
0: I want to take it to the max. Basically, I want it to be the most absurd that it can be, and that's why. and that's
2: like that's the thing. There's no. It's so easy to judge other people's by your taste and standard, but I try not to do that anymore. I, I would judge someone by, and it's difficult because you don't know everyone. Really, as, as themselves, but you can kind of see when something lines up, like their features, their color palette, their attitude. You know, when that all goes into sync, you know, and that's what some of the most popular people are, like, um, uh, Kevis Kevin Manzi. I don't know if you know him. He does a lot for, um, Ralph Lauren. I think he works for Ralph Lauren, but then he models. Um, he's lived in Paris, and he's so like, is. I don't know. I can't explain it like when he puts his clothes on he is so them like it never looks out of place in his style and it can be quite eccentric in terms of you know like um how Ralph Lauren is but it always suits him um but then you'll find other people who have to dress in a much different way um that equally suits them and I, I couldn't ever say that one's better than the other but what you would find if if someone tried to dress like Kevis or dress like said a a different example and it didn't see them then it wouldn't work so it's it's just like it's just those people that find their voice uh, and and it's a true representation of them and it all lines up then they become almost like you know legendary or mythical or have like an archetype about them um wow 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 wow. no that can be i wouldn't say that's the end game of of menswear but it's, I think it's what you should be looking for in menswear is finding yourself. Uh, and it should be a journey into discovering what you like and what works for you. And, you know, I like to play around. And I think that's the thing with me, like in the way that I can be quite versatile with how I draw, I could be quite versatile with the way I dress. So it's difficult. Is it just
0: drawing there's painting also?
2: It's all digital. Okay. It's all digital, so I just refer it to it as drawing because I, I No, I, no, yeah.
0: yeah, and there's a question in here too about nomenclature, which I made into a pun because of Gnomecore from later. Uh, where do you think about your work? Like, if there is a spectrum of cartooning at, oh, okay, one end. Right, an illustration at the other, and people are like, My stuff, uh, these are not cartoons, like this is an illustration. I was just wondering, like, uh are you so you it's drawing?
2: Like I would I would honestly say that and Dick Carroll would probably disagree with me. <laughs> I would sometimes say I would I would say like Charles Schultz and Peanuts is as good as Van Gogh. But that's so funny, Matt. Way. That's
0: what Matt said. Isn't that what you said, Matt?
2: Yeah, not in
1: those exact what words. What you unknowingly? Uh, th- not not entirely, but I, uh, when we were like working on the template of questions and things, I I had the thought. I was like, it, which prompted this question. I was like, who would not consider Charles Schultz an artist? Like, who would simply regale him to Public being a cartoonist? Him. Right, right. Yeah, but, but I mean, I I guess I'm talking like modern day, like, you know Yeah the the peanuts are so sure. revered at this point. Where's like where is the difference? Oh uh,
2: I um so I think if you attended an art school you'd quickly find out. Oh I'm sure, um, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. That's, see, that's I, I think, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like the and snobbishness you know, is
2: so rigid. To, yeah, but then that all comes down to cultural gatekeeping and oh yeah it's like i think anyone who truly invested in the visual arts can probably see can probably um see the greatness in in any kind of area of it if you see what i mean um but getting back to the what the difference is it can be you know painting is a bloody hard thing to do like it's extremely to balance, extremely, to balance yeah. a painting is it is it, it's, it's hard you know so the 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 prospect of what happens when you cartoon is you simplify so a new abstract so it's almost like how well can you simplify an abstract to maintain the um the quality of, of of what it is you're trying to um portray you know and that's what kind of what picasso ended up doing um with his work was that he was um through his abstractions he was um you know, what's, what's the minimum kind of effort to represent that? You know, how do I make that into an icon? Yeah. And that's really interesting. Like, uh, abstraction is really interesting if you actually get into it. Um, but course. cartoonists, they're just kind of doing that anyway without even thinking about it. But then, you know, there's a commercial aspect of it. So you, you couldn't necessarily say that a comic is high art, but then a graphic novel should probably become high art um, but it's whoever wants to put the boundaries up whoever wants to gatekeep whoever wants to defend their little part of the world and I wouldn't you know I wouldn't say that they all demand the same skill set because they're so varied in their skill sets but ultimately what makes it good at the end of it is like saying that someone's just lined up all these all these things in a row, which then make something that's kind of cohesive and and, and perfect. And that can be a painter, it can be a cartoonist, it can be uh, uh, someone doing some weaving, whatever, you know, but fine art has got since the invention of kind of conceptual art has been changed massively. So conceptual art isn't necessarily first caring about the aesthetic And you kind of, you can't argue with that either, really. You just have to let that be and let it be its thing and accept that that's part of kind of our culture, our art culture as well. So, you know, you can get snooty about it, but I think ultimately everyone's just executing different things to different degrees of kind of skill really. And you can recognize that if you're into it.
1: Uh, do, Do you have like a first, um, Drawing illustration piece of art that you remember being like incredibly proud of
2: well, that's the weird thing as well like I kind of draw free compulsion, and I rarely actually um kind of there's maybe like a handful of images I actually feel or any I feel any kind of like satisfaction with, but like a true I artist. Think- yeah, but then it's honest, you know. If I was like really up my ass, I think like everything I've done was great, and Dude, that would be shitty. Also, that would be shitty. Yeah. Also, yeah, yeah, but exactly. It's like you a spectrum. A spectrum, you far the other way. Nobody needs but to be that far up their own ass. No one. You know, well, I'm sure there is, but but well, they're normally deluded. I think the problem is, is like, oh my god, I was going to get into it, but there's so much. I think that takes a lot of delusion to be. A creative and an artist and then finally you catch up with your delusion and realize oh wow I was a bit deluded there so whether you delude yourself into thinking you're terrible or delude yourself into thinking you're great ultimately you're probably just in in the middle somewhere you know you're competent enough and you can create the work but the thing for me is I just drew from such a young age that I never thought of it really as being anything special or anything that other people couldn't do and I would just fill, like, sketchbooks from a young age with just, like, faces, you know, just, like, drawings of faces, almost like... And I was sat in front of... I was put in front of, like, you know, recordings of Charlie Brown from, like, a young age. And, um, you know, like anyone sat in front of cartoons. But the language of, kind of, kids' cartoons, for me as a child, was just kind of obvious. Like, I don't know, I just felt like I could understand cartoons and I would copy, you know, Disney cartoons and later kind of Garfield and stuff like that. And it was just like, I don't know, it was just something I did and I didn't give any thought to it. You know, and your parents might go, oh, that's nice. But I don't necessarily think I was trying to satisfy anything other than just the itch of wanting to draw and kind of recreate what I enjoyed looking at. So I I was, in retrospect, I was... Quite impressed because my mum found a drawing the other day I did my must have been super young of like Goofy. And I was like, I couldn't even draw that now. Like it was really like decent. And I was like, Are You sure? Are you sure this isn't just like something I coloured in? You know what I mean? <laughs> did I do the line work on that? And she's like, Yeah, you just drew this as like a kid. And I used to be able to draw like manga really well. Me and my friend Simon were obsessed with manga when we were like 11 12 13 and we would draw manga all day long and i could draw really good like manga i couldn't do it now right right I, do, I don't know where that went so i just had an ability to i would copy like um chinese ornamental plates and stuff like that like i don't know I just had a compulsion to do it as a, as a kid really but then i found uh, rave music and drum and bass and jungle music and i just got obsessed with music and i just forgot about my art really and um just got into music in a really big way but unfortunately i didn't have the natural kind of ability with music even though i've kind of love it more i guess right well the, so um,
1: does your musical taste inform your art like that's i feel like that's a a pretty yeah i think one.
2: i think i've learned it yeah, I think I've learned that it does, actually. That's cool. I, I did wonder about that. I have some, I have synesthesia, so whenever I listen to music, I kind of see it in my mind's eye. Oh,
1: shit, okay. I think Hockney, wait, wait, hold on. Say, yeah, I think
2: Hockney's got that.
1: Say, uh, what it is one more time. I d- it broke up.
2: Well, there's different types of synesthesia, and I can't remember what the technical term for mine is, but it means that when I listen to music, I will... um get like a abstract like visual space in my mind that's kind of animated along with the music so it can be like the shapes and colors like kind of saver. Interacting. it kind of looks like a a kind of a a, a, a a kind of a screen saver I guess you know those like classic screen savers where all the lights yeah, that's
0: what I'm talking about just like fractals bouncing yeah around. yeah yeah it well, is. It's, it's like cool. I I know that you really have it also because this is the first mention of it, right? Because oh, yeah, I feel like there so are people
2: myself with, with it straight away. Yeah.
0: Yes, there's a man with the initials KW who is extremely uh, effusive about his synesthesia, uh, okay. and I do not suspect that this KW has it. Uh, but yeah. since you just since you're just mentioning it, I think for sure, as a doctor myself, you
2: kind of forget about it. I think when you've got it, it's like I, the first time I realized I had it was I was in band practice um, for a band I was in, and I was like, I, I so basically as the track started playing, I as we started trying playing the track. It kind of goes along like on a conveyor belt, and I can it's all placed out in my mind like all the cues and everything like that, all the music, and I just reflected on a bandmate. I was like, I don't think it does that. And I kind of described it picturally to him. And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, yeah, but it doesn't look like that. And he's like, yeah, but it doesn't look like anything. It's music. What are you on about? You know, you rotate it. It doesn't have a visual cue. I'm like, oh, right. Well, I see it all in my head. (laughs) And they were like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I would remember songs visually. I wouldn't remember them. Ordinarily. So I bet you were
0: quite a talented musician.
2: I'm sure you will not say I, as much, but I, I,
0: bet that, I bet that you were.
2: Well, the thing was, hard. I came to be, being a musician late, so I never got the technical qualities. Who,
0: Who cares? That's, well, the, that's the boring part about music anyway. Who cares yeah, about yeah. time? I, mean, I,
2: know, I know. I know. I, I've been around enough pompous lead guitarist know. yeah
0: i play music but i don't know how to do it i can sight read tabs i mean that's pretty good that's decent know, it's yeah, decent but way I'm, to
2: interpret music yeah like music musicians are a great bunch of people like i love hanging around with musicians i love to talk music all my best friends are obsessed with music like exactly. it's just the underpinning to my life and then visual culture just sits on top of my love of musical culture um you know and finding those now that I feel like music had a real down point where it just wasn't having much cultural impact probably like it always has a cultural impact but it kind of lost its way for a long period but I feel like the generation beneath us really kind of fell in love with music again and built up cultures around music and um
0: well, there's, I mean, much to discover, right? Yeah, like, I mean, uh, yeah. Nirvana. Nirvana, for example, if you haven't heard oh. a Nirvana song in your life and you hear a Nirvana song, you're like, holy shit.
2: Yeah, I really thing? love that. I have more, underst- I feel like I, Gen Z's approach to cultural kind of signifiers reflects so much more with how I feel than I did with my, like, my peer group who are typically a bit younger. Like the millennial peer group, I didn't really gel with. I'd much rather like hang out with some Gen Xers who knew all about kind of like the 20th century's musical output, the millennials who were kind of like into that early kind of noughties, weird, I don't know what happened in the noughties. I I, I kind of wrote it off as a decade. A black and, like black hole. Everyone started wearing like skinny trousers, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. I kind of just tapped out for 20 years and then all of a sudden kids are listening to like Nirvana and drum and bass and jungle music. And I'm like, all oh, right. Okay, cool. Yeah. I know where we're at now. And yeah, we're back to it. Yeah. baggy, And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hoodie's got baggy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know where we're at. And I feel like, okay, I feel comfortable again in my, right. in my, um, yeah, I, I've control. had, i
1: like I come, I come out of the hardcore and the punk scene in like the late '90s or early 2000s. Like that was my shit. Um, and I, I have a music as you, I think, you know, somewhat said like music is my life's blood. Um, still to this day. Yeah. But I've had this conversation multiple times in the past, like few months about the newer generation took all of the cool shit in for me like in this particular scene they took Mm -hmm. all of the cool shit from when i was you know young and into this and merged it with the cool shit that came before me that we somehow forgot for a while and is back to being like it's like incredibly diverse like super political and like you know just just such a good representation of what that ethos is, and like i I love telling people that, and like have have gotten more into you know going out to see a local show or a show in general in the past like nine months, and like it's it's so heartening because I did disappear for a while because it just got boring,
2: yeah like i wouldn't have I wouldn't have listened to anything for a long time that would really have made me want to go to a gig right and the other day i was listening to a band called um clown court and I even pigeon it and it was so exciting i was like you know i live quite a long way away from london now in terms of like you, you can't just nip into london you kind of have to plan the journey right right and um, they were playing like that night, and I was like, "Do you know what? Like, if I didn't have the responsibility of, you know, having a family, I'd be like, right, I'm getting on the train because this music is so exciting." Right. I kind of need to be. There. What you know, and that's kind of probably like.
1: What kind of style is? Sorry.
2: That? Oh man, I can't pigeonhole it. It is insane. It's kind of like break core with like, like free jazz, break core thrash um gaba ambient it is nuts and the musicianship is so tough. it's just a drummer and a saxophonist and and they kind of play ah, keyboards
0: like a lightning bolt a lightning bolt setup
2: oh it's mad and then they're, yeah, yeah they they're called um yeah
0: yeah I will they're definitely cool. check that
2: out <laughs> but um just to kind of go on what what you're just talking about it's like I'm finding music again now that isn't it's not exactly what i'd listen to uh, in my formative years but it's referencing it and it's adding and it's just really exciting again yep. whereas for such a period of time that wasn't the case but then in fashion i'm finding that as well you know like i'm seeing stuff now where it's like it's not my um it's new like okay it might be referencing the 90s or whatever but it, it still is there's something added to it there's a take on it but it's, and i think like again like toddy and me were talking and he's like everything's cyclical it's not like time doesn't just go in a straight line it it kind of goes around in a spiral and points in time line up you know so you would find like a fashion from like 1700s or sit with punk music and then you have like vivian westwood kind of referencing you know there's like new romanticism or there's punk romanticism you know so you've got the romanticism of the um 17 1800s lining up with the romanticism of the 1980s you know and then you'll find that will probably pop up again at some point in our lifetime and that's just a line running through the ages but the archetype is true all the way through so you know as as the the clock turns you're like whoa i don't know where i'm at like nothing's resonating with me and then you know it's 12 o'clock it's your time and everything lines up again you know so you'll love the music that's out there now. You'll love the music of like 20 years ago. You know, I listen to Bartok and crazy serialists like Schoenberg and it all kind of lines up because it's all just like crazy experimental music, kind of avant-garde, you know, art. It all kind of just then lines up again and you get that kind of, um, epoch, I guess. So, um, I'm all Sounds for like hip hop
0: to me. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? I mean it's like, it's like that hip- has been I mean, the whole of that genre of music has been sampling and
2: remixing and um
0: homages to other
2: Yeah. I can't explain to you the impact of hip hop in the UK and and my life. Like Yeah. The UK is was at the time that hip hop landed, um, you know, I was a little bit younger, but by the late eighties the UK was such a gray and dull and boring place. And then like you hear public enemy and you're like, it's like, you know, it's like a riot going off. And this, you know, so you hear, you get that kind of wave of late eighties rap. And then we get like the nineties commercial rap, like came through the success of the late eighties rap. So, you know, you'll be like, I wouldn't say I was into Vanilla Ice or anything like that, but you'll have all of that kind of MC Hammer Vanilla Ice stuff. But then underneath that, you would have like Eric B and Rakeem like appearing on like the NBA um, VHSs I used to get. So I was hearing all this like rap music and I was obsessed with, with basketball culture. And that was just it for me, you know, up until I kind of got into skating. And then that was, again, a slightly... And even those similar kind of,
1: yeah, those worlds collided in in our like formative years with like uh, Kareem Campbell and, you know, the, like, the kind of like more, yeah, Chad Muska, the more like, the more flow type of skating that, that eventually just led to, in my opinion, like, I'm not a skater. I tried, I sucked at it, but I appreciate it. But like, that, that whole thing has like, once again, kind of culminated in a subculture in the twenty twenties,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly, um, it's great to see it as well because it was such a rich time, it was such a great time, um you know, the only thing that the this generation would be lacking is the reference that there was like it was like a wasteland of ideas or your life is
0: that reference right i mean that the the 2000s
2: life yeah um but like just going back like i know previously you asked people like memories of like their first purchase or you know first thing away from their parents or something they've decided for themselves and um i was just thinking the other day i was like i do remember two items that that i bought or asked to have bought for me because I was too young it is, Yeah, and um, one was like this like from so I lived near a town called Watford which is like, again another kind of good example of a bit of a shithole really but um, <laughs> rave culture what happened like rave culture spawned a lot of these independent clothing shops and you'd get a lot of like you'd get a clothing shop that would sell like rave clothes and like rave music like jungle music or hardcore music or whatever. And it was all these, it was a whole network around the country of these independent shops and they might sell Stussy or they might sell like Carhartt. And uh, I remember going to one of these and buying this like really loud, almost like a Peter Blake-esque abstract illustration on like this hoodie. And it was so bright, but it, it was like, to me, it was just like, it just set off like my kind of, synapses and I was like yeah I need that and then in equal terms I saw the um Reebok Pump Twilight which was like the neon yellow and oh yeah black and white Reebok yes with the with the pump and I was like can I have them <laughs> and my mom was like you should want them
0: like this is what before. the original what the the original person who made the pump up idea is doing well because there is very really famous- well, or, I I expect that they're not as rich as they ought to be.
2: Well, yeah, the the anyone that knows like the, the painting is owned by the company, isn't it? Right, but, right, right. Um, There is a good there's like on Instagram you find a lot of old footwear designers who did all the classic kind of footwear that we kind of love, um, just kind of like kicking about kind of most of them are just into like hiking now. Right, <laughs> just yeah. like, you know, like living these kind of really cool, well, like I would deem as being cool lifestyles in America, and they've got this like legacy of creating all this amazing footwear, but they just seemed like really kind of anarchic designers who have not really invested in the American dream and live really kind of removed and quite cool, humble lives. Really? Well, them, yeah, I,
1: yeah, say. I, I am yeah. 100% in support of these guys.
2: Yeah. I love it, actually. I, I, I noticed as I've kind of got to meet people who are quite high up in um, the corporate world, they, um, especially in the creative corporate world, they seem to be the most kind of anarchistic kind of like, um, I don't know. They're just, you know, some people might think of them as being hypocritical, but they just, I suppose they just saw whatever talent they had through to the end and then didn't invest in the kind of smoke and mirrors of what it means to be a success in a, kind of capitalist the rat race regime yeah so yeah, right. like you know oh, they, yeah. the game, they kind of won the game and they got their freedom to some degree and now they can kind of tell you how ridiculous it is as, as a concept but you know it kind of takes success to be able to do that i guess yeah. or otherwise you're just a man screaming on the street right
1: right you're the guy
2: you're,
1: you're the guy holding the in is nigh sign on the corner of
2: a business yeah. intersection here. yeah yeah you've got two options if you're that character right.
1: yeah.
0: well, so speaking of success, we had uh, i guess an unveiling on this show, an oh, untoking, yeah. as I said earlier, um we know that you have something you want to get off your chest or off your head.
2: yeah, well, I don't think um it's not I don't think it's had the cultural impact that deserves that <laughs> introduction but thank you. <laughs> Well, that's the whole fucking point of the show. Yeah, yeah. that's why we got you on. God damn it. Um, yeah. No, uh, uh, well, the thing was, I I love clothes and I'm really into, like you say, s- subcultures and music. And, and um, my Instagram was just becoming so work-orientated. I felt like I couldn't really explore much else and not ruin my kind of um, branding, for want of a better word. And uh, again people like people I talk to like Tony and Dick and we just just talk like random crap for hours because we're all self employed and we're all at home and we're all bored trying to do our work. And um gotta follow up Tony
0: one of these days.
2: Yeah, so most of my life is kind of coming up with puns and stuff with Tony um about anything. And this sounds, no, this sounds like, like a fucking dream. Yeah it's just this probably the part of my job I enjoy the most really. It's just talking to other kind of self-employed people uh, in their work day. Oh buddy, I'm going to annoy Nomecore, the shit out of you. Normcore, obviously we all know. And I think like Die Workwear coined Nomecore like ages ago, but I never knew that that reference. It was only when I started to, after I literally made the site and I started to research the name, did I find that other people had used it? So I wouldn't even necessarily say it's my, my joke. Um, but I, you know, we all have that anti-kind of hipster thing <clears throat> where we don't like people wearing beanies up high <laughs> above their ears. <laughs> For me, like, I mean, there is that element, but then there's also like, I loved how people wore their beanies up really high in the '90s. You know, right. get good oh, acrylic, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah,
2: hands up. Like, it's that yeah. like big, it's that big L beanie. Like,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. yeah exactly.
2: Hell so, yeah. Uh, so I just kind of clocked that core was beginning to become a thing because people were kind of referencing a lot of psychedelic stuff again. So like the mushroom was returning quite a lot to clothing. And, you know, in, in, in my time in the 90s, there was a lot of references to drug culture in the rave wear. And, uh, you know, the, the psychedelic pans were coming back in, like the tie-dye, thanks to COVID, everyone was tie-dyeing because they – had no reason to leave their house, so let's just yeah. tie-dye some socks. <laughs> you know, um, there was the um, Mr. Mort with his, like, um, old deadhead Dead styles, yes! Yeah, Hell yeah! yeah. So, there was all these things kind of coming together. And Which I man, do not like The Grateful Dead, but I do like tie-dye. <laughs> I do like The Grateful Dead. Yeah, so there was always some And I was like, right, I just We're want divide. To-.
0: We're a divided house, as ever, on The Grateful Dead.
2: I think... I, I I can gladly make you a list of my favorite Grateful Dead tracks, but I couldn't like do a definitive rundown of, of yeah, the band. Yeah, same, same so here. I do, I do. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not completely. Um, I'm not a dead. Yeah, uh, I'm not a deadhead, but I it's enjoy. The fans, it.
0: It's the fans that spoil it. Well, it's I, the fans no, spoil I, it. I listen. I don't want to listen to someone who I love play music for five um, hours. But you know, it's like. Let's do this in two hours maximum.
2: Fair enough. But then I suppose the concept of time kind of... When you take that much psychedelic um, substances, the concept of time kind of evaporates away. So you are left with like a six-hour kind of Well, I'm very pro-drug use. Right, okay.
0: Extremely pro-drug use on this show. We know this. Um, But I just like... I don't know. I mean, I don't want to like what you I feel- don't want to do is go stand somewhere while I am taking acid.
2: Yeah. I mean, Neither again, were there though probably wasn't quite a lot uh, to do in kind of like small town America as the grateful dead came up. So, you know, it's probably why people followed them around the country, kind of in car parks, getting absolutely ruined. It yeah. wasn't much else. America wasn't giving them much else really so <laughs> fair, enough on that. That. fair enough but yeah, yeah. so um, with knownme all I literally did was like I was like right I don't want to um this isn't about me nothing I've posted has ever really been produced by me I do some playlists um, I invite people to do playlists and I use other people's um uh, footage or uh, not footage or you know um, photographs i asked them if i can post it or if i can't get hold of them i just post it and wait for someone to be angry at me i try and kind of um ask forgiveness not permission I made, what i wanted to, yeah exactly i just or um i just wanted to uh express a part of uh fashion uh, fashion or whatever uh, clothing that i was interested in it didn't really sit with what i was doing as as a, as a professional Um, But I was interested in it and I just wanted an outlet for it. I wanted to celebrate it. And I loved the kind of the ambient music scene that was kind of came up around the look as well. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to set up a page for this. Nice. And it just went crazy. You know, like GQ interviews, like people (laughs) trying to get like a (laughs) interview out of me. But I think we ended up selling that to like airmail or something like that. So and the whole thing was like I I didn't want it to be confronted by me. It was, it was nothing really to do with me, other than I was just compiling. Yeah. Other you gotta people. get,
0: you gotta get like a hype man, man. You gotta get somebody telling you like you are the fucking shit. Like go do whatever you want.
2: Well, that would be <laughs> nice, but well, here I, I am. Well, the thing is, like you get if you get some success, and that success you've been really interested in getting. You, it, and it does come, it, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it often feels quite empty. And then you pine for a time where uh, the, what you were interested in wasn't tied to success or um, get, getting paid or, you know, anything like that. And you kind of yearn for like a simpler time. So for me, like core was a simpler time where I would have just been that person who was just posting up on on the Internet stuff they loved and enjoyed and not looking to get anything back from it. And then, like, there's been times where I was like, should I commercialise this group? Should I do some merch? And everyone's like, yeah, do merch. And I I got really close to doing merch. And I've always kind of stood back from it and thought, actually, no, do you know what? Like, I can keep, you know, and I was like, oh, this is growing really quickly. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm back in the game. I'm back in the rat race. I'm trying to grow this group. I'm trying to, um, you know, look at monetizing All the things I was like didn't want to do by starting this group and now i just treat it very you know summer wasn't like a huge time for wearing um knitted clothing if unless you want to kind of quickly dehydrate i I, I will say i will
1: say plenty of people still rock the fucking beanie in the summer here and it drives me absolutely up a wall
2: well i I bought a cotton beanie because i wanted to be true to what i'd set up (laughs) and even beanie had me like dead. Yeah, like yeah, in, dude. I, I don't know how like, they
1: do it. Like I'm a I'm a hat person. I wear a hat literally every day in my life.
2: Yeah, I live in hat.
1: But Jesus Christ! But it, it's
2: I mean, 95 like, degrees, yeah,
1: and you're wearing a fucking beanie. Like,
2: what the yeah. fuck are you? That's doing? dedication,
0: Matt. You gotta suffer for fashion.
2: No, yeah. no, <laughs> not in yeah. this. You know way. that
0: better than most. I I don't <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean sweating sweating for anything bad.
1: I don't suffer for it's just is bad. Like I'm gonna I, I live in fucking Atlanta. It's gonna be nine thousand degrees and I'm gonna sweat my ass off whether I'm wearing a t shirt uh or a very light outer layer that keeps me from getting sunburned. So So
0: you might yeah. as well wear a toque, just throw a cotton toque on. Okay. Yeah.
1: Fucking putting a beanie on, like I'm already hot as shit. That's just gonna like like wearing a cotton hat. Yeah. I know
0: what I'm getting you for Christmas. Uh, I'm fucking... <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, I'm gonna. You've got to be sensible with your fashion choices, and I would say the environment dictates a lot of that. Yeah, it's totally. um Anyway, yeah, so it it slept for a few months, and and I didn't really do much of it, and now like beanie weather's returned, so I'm just trying to turn my hand back to promoting it and there's a lot of fashions coming through which very much leaning into that kind of look yeah but um yeah it just comes a point and i did thought of just like finish ending the group maybe just turning it into like um uh more of like a four forum based thing so it wasn't me like leading it i just felt like i just wanted to break it up into let people kind of just have their fun with it without me kind of being like a gatekeeper to it or anything right, like that yeah. but i'm too busy or lazy to to do that so um i've got a few more playlists that i just need to put up and put through which people do for me um, and we'll just see how it goes but what it was for me was like an escape and then that escape became a prison again i was like oh christ right. like, you just can't escape um your destiny um but I really enjoyed it. Like the first kind of few months of it was great. Like it was so kind of novel, but, but grounded in, in a kind of a movement that it was really, really fun. And it was nice to see that that can happen. And the internet is great for that. And, you know, it was so inclusive. Like it was a movement and it is a movement. If it is a movement, it's a style that is so inclusive and so like it, it was like you just don't bring anything to it other than yourself and how much you want to reference a gnome. Like it's it's painfully simple. Um, but you know, you can do it in a kind of a, a catwalky, fashiony way. You can do it as like a mum in a kind of like crafting way. You know, there's to, gnome oh, limit no limit. There's no limit to it. No limit
1: soldier, motherfucker. You, no, uh, yes. you, you I'm so sorry for my that too.
2: Exactly. There's no limit. Online. It's. A,
0: it's. Wait, I mean, I thought, it's going to be a good night. Now that we've got that, I mean,
2: what more is there to say? No but, more. And there is no more. Yeah. So it's a pun-based fashion movement, largely, and <laughs> um, that relies on. I
0: didn't. I thought I would get like uh, official mailing for that. <laughs> but I guess I have to weasel my way in.
2: Well. Anyone's welcome as long as you adhere to you guys to. don't discriminate. No, there's very little discrimination. I would discriminate against anyone bringing bad vibes. That's about it really. And I think I've had to block one one account. It just doesn't seem to attract any bad vibes. It's just really really like everyone um seems to be interested in Gnome Core. Just is a delight to kind of converse with and in in the DMs and stuff, so yeah, I have a good time of it, but I just get busy. And I can't so it gets any- down
0: in the DMs with the, the gnome core. Are you getting like
2: suggestive oh, DMs about I'm, the gnomes? No, I've not reached uh, those. You're not <laughs> up there yet. No, and I hope not to. Um, <laughs> really, the sky's <laughs> the a limit. Time. Truly. Oh yeah, no, I'm. I uh, it's good in a way because um, you just feel like it's grabbed the imagination of people, and I've met a lot of. Um, uh, again, like musicians that are into like the ambient, like, I think it's called fourth world music, but I just call it like ambient. And then we call it gnomecore. Um So there's like acts like um, Patricia Wolf and Greenhouse. And oh man, there's just loads of really good artists and musicians out there who are creating either like uh, clothing or music that all kind of just without any kind of direction just all kind of lines up so nicely in in this kind of scene, and I just try and use it to promote those people. I don't take freebies. I don't like if I do a giveaway. It's not like because someone's paid in to do a giveaway, or I haven't promoted anything because I get any money from it. It's just literally if if I've liked it, then I've just, and I just felt like I wanted to post it, and I've posted it. And um, I, I, I I suppose it was like in the original spirit of like the internet that I tried to maintain that kind of sharing and not monetizing. No, um, that's
0: interesting. We talk about that here too. We talk about because that. Because it's like not, yeah. it's like not like that anymore. And as you were saying just now, like the struggle to, to not monetize shit. Like my sister, Allison does a ton of work. She does a ton of art outside of her job, you know? And people are always like, well, you could sell this. You could go to this market. You could do this. And she's like, I don't want to do that. I'm doing this for myself. Like I'm doing this because this is like healing to me. Yeah. I don't want to make money. I, I, made
2: a con- I made a conscious decision to try and monetize my drawing because I had no other discernible skills and I didn't want to work in retail.
1: And
0: yeah, nothing against retail. it, but I'm saying there is a, there is a, there are cultural forces. Yeah. 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 that Make it well, more and, or less non-option. And
1: and you you, you know, have to take into account that like, you know, Wes, with you particularly, the Gnome Gore thing is, like, it was something fun that you started. It was something that, like, brought you joy. Yeah. You don't need to make money off of every single thing that make, that brings you joy. And, like, that you, like, every outlet and creative thing, like, your art pays the bills, and that's fucking fantastic. Um, but, yeah, like, yeah. the idea that... The, in in the twenty twenty three culture that you have to like only do things that make you a profit is so fucked up.
0: you need a side hustle, you need to grind all the
2: time, yeah yeah I do, set, feel sorry, I do feel sorry for us, I think it's good. I think like I wouldn't have been able to do what I did probably thirty years ago because there was so much kind of gatekeeping, there was so much luck, whereas now it was like. You, uh, when Instagram was well behaved and would show people your work, it was really easy to grow. Um, but then like Dick disagrees with me. He still thinks it's easy to do it. It's just people, people go off the boil and like blame the internet or something like that. But like, I do think largely the internet, how it is or that whole idea of having a side hustle or growing something, you, you know, it's great. But if every moment of your life is, is, kind of given to that uh and like I was saying from the experience of having success with that and then realizing it didn't really give me anything other than like a month or two where I didn't have to worry about my bills there's not really much past that and you can lose sight of of doing something because you love it you can find that again in the commercial world you can love what you do and be commercial with it but it it takes a lot of um lessons to be learned in order to become that person i think um and ultimately you know if you are doing anything for the love of something i love hobbyists like my favorite people are like saying musicians but hobbyists as well hobbyists are great because they just love something and they don't care if it what it brings to them other than the joy of doing that hobby and um you know i'm very much of that spirit i love i love a good hobby oh yeah and uh, for me like clothes and music are my hobbies you know and now they are my work as well so or at least drawing is so yeah, yeah.
0: i mean this is our hobby basically like this is not a money-making enterprise right.
1: um, i mean yeah, yeah. Like, it, doesn't about... show,
2: it doesn't show in the production value oh
1: well, thank thank holy shit that that might be the best compliment wow. that, that we have had thank you <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're uh, it's That's a okay. running joke that we're just constantly trying to sound better because we have definitely had some episodes that sounded like absolute dog shit, but this is the whole. Like
0: I listened to the first episode and I'm like amazed that people listened right. past that.
1: This is the challenge that, uh, recording a all remote podcast is, but we, we love doing it. Yeah. And, you know, love talking to people
0: like this. It really let's us talk to people
2: across the ocean, right. Th- which is,
1: cool. this has been fucking great today, dude. Um, thank you for coming on.
2: Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. No worries, guys. Yeah, um... Um, I feel the the fatigue of like a film that's gone over. It's it's um, allotted time, so. If you guys are feeling that too. No, dude, I, I did. We,
1: we could talk. I, I don't know if anyone will listen, but... I, we didn't do, like,
0: we didn't do, like, more than half of the questions that we... Brought. But
1: it was possible. So fantastic.
0: We have plenty. Yeah, it was amazing. This was, like, really, really yeah. good. I think this uh, I'm, I'm, is a standout I'm here as long as
2: you want me. You don't have to call it time now, or it's up to you guys. But um, I'm, I'm happy to go on because... I am. Um, I'm self employed, so it doesn't really matter what time I wake up in the morning. Well, it, it just
1: means that we'll have you back on in the not so distant future, and we can talk more about. Okay, it. yeah, we could have, I
0: mean, we could have, we could have, Tony Dick West. Oh,
1: dude, that would be fucking fantastic.
2: Yeah, I mean, those guys. I, for the t- like, I've met a lot of people in fashion. and and clothing and whatever, and menswear, without, like, getting up their um, rear ends too much. Like, both really considerate guys, both very helpful guys for no reward to themselves at all. No kind of, like, you'll meet people and you think you're friends with them in, in the industry. And, like, everyone's got their own trajectory. But, like, some people just hang around and you end up with those people that just kind of love clothes for the sake of clothes and that's what those guys are and that's why they're so interesting to listen to when they talk about clothes because they love it on that level they're not kind of yeah
1: this is that's the whole anyway those are the people we want to talk to
2: my two yeah and you know and it's nice because i think like you're saying i listen to your podcast and you find those people and you get them on and then i listen to an hour and a half of their experience of clothes and it's completely different than mine but it all kind of all goes to create the the culture of it. So good work. You're doing thank you. Thank you.
1: All about the fucking culture, baby. Yeah. Yeah,
0: It is. It's for the culture. It's it's for the culture.
1: Yeah. Uh uh, Wes, we always like to give a guest a chance to shout out what they want to. So have at it.
2: Um well I've only got an Instagram and most people know it. Um But you should still say it. Come look at it. I would would promote my stories over my uh, Instagram feed. I really put a lot of time into my stories. Same. Same. Um, You'll see photos of the um, great British uh, countryside. You'll hear some very progressive breakcore music if I've decided to post that. Um, Skateboarding, snowboarding, and a little bit of kind of menswear. Uh, All in my stories. It's to be
1: underscore Wes
2: underscore art. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, so you know. yeah. And then
2: and we'll post that. Of course. We will
1: post that. Of course. Of course.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so um, much. Yeah. And uh, thanks for having me on guys. Of course. And I will continue to talk to you in our DMS, but keep it very, um, unsorted. (laughs) It goes down in the
1: DMs. It goes down (laughs) in the DMs. It goes down in the
2: DMs.